The Old Testament reading for the first Sunday in Lent is from Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I surely will bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from James chapter 1. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he, be, of his own will he, brought, will he brought us forth by the word of God, 
that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. Those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And he came out, up out of the water. Immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe in the gospel. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The devil tempts. That's what he does. That's his very nature is to tempt one to fall into sin. As we journey through this wilderness of life, the temptation to sin is like an ever-present gravitational force just pulling and tugging upon us, tugging us down all the time. When you wake up in the morning, temptation to sin is there. When you get up and go, you go to work, temptation is there. When you get home at night, temptation is there. When you close your eyes and lie in bed, temptation is there. It is a heavy burden. It is a heavy weight. So no surprise then that fighting against temptation as we are called to do, fighting against temptation to sin takes a lot of work, a lot of effort. It requires study and devotion to God's word, and prayer and the regular reception of the Lord's Supper and repeatedly hearing the absolution that your sins indeed are forgiven in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yes, this fight also requires a thing called self-discipline. You know, there is a reason why we call it a fall into sin when a Christian commits a sin. Because the idea is that we don't, as Christians, we don't go around desiring to sin. As baptized, regenerate believers in Christ, we are not content to simply wallow in our own sin, the filth of our own sin. For that would be called unrepentance. That would be called, actually, unbelief. Instead, we baptized, regenerate believers in Jesus Christ. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. We desire to obey God's commandments, and we desire to do so joyfully because it is what's good for us, and we know that what God commands is always what is best. But we keep taking the bait, don't we? We keep falling into sin, don't we? Because even as baptized, regenerate believers in Christ, the desires of our heart aren't as they should be. In our epistle lesson, James says this. He says that nothing has that you are lured, you are enticed by your own desires, your own sinful heart's desires. 
So temptation really isn't all that complicated. It's not that complex, really. A fish bites, it wants, it bites the lure because it wants to devour it, because it's hungry, it desires it, because the lure is attractive and shiny and it, and it wants it. In the same way, we are tempted, we are lured, we are enticed by our own desire, by the, the temptations of our own sinful hearts, our own sinful flesh. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, you all are familiar with the famous temptations, right? The big ones, the kind of stuff that uh, perhaps have become cliche at this point for some of us. We tend to roll our eyes when we're warned of them. Things like sex, drugs, alcohol, money, power, right? The big ones. But these temptations are nothing to scoff at, nothing to roll your eyes at, because they're on the greatest hits album for a reason, right? They are very seductive. They have destroyed many a soul, and we would be wise to be on guard against such great temptations. But perhaps the desires of your heart aren't so much for those big temptations, but a little bit more subtle. Perhaps your weakness lies in laziness. Maybe a couch potato who, who lets the big a talking screen do all of, their, all of your thinking for you. Or perhaps it's a spiritual laziness Great, now church on Wednesdays, too. Bible study after church, even though service is consistently 15 minutes too long. Daily devotions, ah, I'm far too busy for that. So maybe your weakness might be grumbling, maybe being discontent with what God has provided for you. Maybe your weakness is gossiping, complaining about other people behind their back rather than going one-on-one -on -one to the person as we are called to do in Matthew 18. Or maybe your weakness is fooling yourself into thinking that you don't have any weaknesses. That's called pride. It's called self-righteousness. And it is a stench in God's nostrils. Weaknesses, we all have them. We all need to admit that. And that's where the devil is going to aim his temptations. Think about it. The devil is not going to try to hit you where you're rock hard and solid, right? He's going to hit you where you're flabby and weak. Scripture commands, though, that you be strong. James 4, later in the epistle to James', James epistle, he says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overcome you that's not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he also will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Endure it. Stand. Be strong. Resist. So what are we, we who are weak, but commanded to be strong, what are we supposed to do? During the Lenten season, we're reminded that we are indeed weak and sinful, that there's no room for your excuses. There is no self-justification before God Almighty. We're sinners. We don't want to submit ourselves to God. We are far weaker than we can ever imagine ourselves being. 
And we are sinners who give in to the devil's seductive lures and lies far too much, far too often. Sinners who should recognize that apart from Jesus, without Jesus, there would be no end to the depths of which we will fall. There is no floor to our depravity. There is nowhere that we could not sink without Jesus. And that is why our gospel lesson today is so crucial. Because where Adam fell, where you and I fall, Jesus stands resolute. Where we give in, Jesus resists. Where we fail, Jesus succeeds. When we lose, Jesus wins. Where we sin, Jesus is perfect. Where we are weak, he is strong. It is true that Jesus here gives us an example that we should follow when we are faced with Satan's temptations. We should stand resolute. We should resist. We should succeed. We should win. We should be strong. We should be perfect. No Christian really can dispute that. We should be these things. But the problem is we are none of these. We fall, and we fall, and we fall again. So while Jesus indeed is our perfect example, and we should strive to follow that example, more importantly, he is our substitute. He endured, he stood resolute and strong, he resisted, he, was, he succeeded, he won. And he is perfect in your place for you as your substitute. And that is why in our gospel reading, fresh out of the water of holy baptism, as if you remember when we talked about Christ's baptism, he did that as your substitute. Fresh out of the water of holy baptism, in verse 12, Mark says, immediately the Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. Actually, the Greek here is quite a bit stronger than that. The Holy Spirit cast him out. He threw him out. In other words, he had to go. He had to be tempted. He had to be tempted in every respect, just as we are. He had to experience the same heavy gravitational pull to sin that you and I experience each and every day, but he on a far greater level. Think about it. He was tempted with far more than you and I will ever be tempted with. He was alone in the wilderness for 40 days with no food living amongst the wild animals, Mark says. He's tempted by the very father of lies himself. Yet Jesus did not fail. He did not fall. There is no weakness in him, only strength. And his strength is shown by his complete and total submission to his father's will. And that will is for him to be our substitute, to stand in our place, to send his son to be the substitute and savior of sinners. Jesus clings, of course, to God's word, not the perverted word of God that hissed forth from Satan's forked tongue, but the pure, true word of God. Clinging to that word, the devil, he resisted and the devil must flee. Uh, other versions or other uh, accounts of this will say until an opportune time, he'll be back. But the devil fled. And now baptized into Christ and united to him by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, Christ's victory over Satan now is 
your victory. His success now is your success. His perfect obedience to his Father's will is now your perfect obedience. His righteousness is your righteousness, and the salvation that he won on the cross for you is, of course, now your salvation. By grace through faith in Jesus, God has washed away all of your sins, and in that he has given you now a new heart. As we will sing in just a minute, the offertory will say, created me a new heart. And he has created that new heart, a strong and courageous heart in you, a repentant heart, yes, but also a forgiven an upright heart, a heart that is free from condemnation and free from the accusations of the devil, a heart now that beats for others, just as Christ's heart beats for you. Repent and believe the gospel, as Jesus proclaims. Cling to Christ alone and his perfect obedience, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, as if your very life depends upon it. Because it does, 100%. Yes, fighting against temptation takes a lot of work. The good news is that Christ has done the work. He has done the work and he has accomplished it all for you. In Christ and in his strength, you are not helpless in the face of temptation. You are able now to fight against temptation. And that fight actually becomes a joy. In Christ and in his strength, you are who God says that you are, who he declares you to be. And he says, you are resolute, you are strong, you are successful, you are a victor, you are perfect in Jesus Christ because of his substitute, the substitute's account has been credited to you. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We've all got them but one who is in every respect, who has every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So whatever your weaknesses may be, your loving Savior knows them. He has gone through them in every way, even greater, and he sympathizes with your weaknesses. That doesn't mean he excuses them or winks at them as if they're no big deal, but he forgives them. And then he strengthens you to fight against and he also promises that he hears the prayers of his precious children. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, he hears that and he answers that. And he will strengthen you through the journey of the wilderness of this life. For the Lord of all, who whipped the devil in the wilderness and crushed his head at the foot of the cross, is the valiant one, indeed our champion who fights for us. What are we who are weak but commanded to be strong to do? First, admit your great weakness. Repent. Repent of your sin. Cling to Christ alone and receive forgiveness from him and let the forgiveness of Christ strengthen you in that forgiveness and in that grace. Find your strength in Christ and in Christ alone. He will never fail you. And he will, as he promises, he will bring you safely home to a place where there will be no more devil and temptations, where there will be no more weaknesses and failings and fallings. There will be no more pain and struggles of living in this wilderness. All of those will be no more.
in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.